The galaxy is a place of violence and horror, of all hope and despair. It is a place where the strong prey upon the weak, where the powerful and the corrupt exploit the powerless and the virtuous. It is a place of endless war, where armies clash on a million battlefields and the blood of countless billions is spilled in the name of power, glory, and conquest. It is a place of darkness and despair, where the light of hope struggles to shine amidst the shadows of fear and doubt. This is the universe of Warhammer 40k, a universe of grim darkness and unending war. Hello everyone, welcome back to my podcast here at Requiem Radio. It is me, your host, Solar Requiem. With me today, I have an avid fan and enjoyer of the lore with me. Uh, His name is Sawyer. He is a really good guy and he's very knowledgeable on Love It. And we'll be discussing Warhammer 40k today. Hello, Sawyer. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Solo. Um, I will try my best to try to teach some people about 40k the best that I can. It is very large and vast, so I imagine there's probably a listener that knows even more than me. Oh, definitely, but as we all know, we're all fans of Warhammer 40k. It's an amazing franchise, but speaking of that, for the audience who doesn't know, what Mm -hmm. is Warhammer 40k? So Warhammer 40k is a imagination of the in the year 40,000. Uh, 40, uh, it's supposed to be a like you said a grim dark is kind of the term used, where everything revolves around war, everything is terrible, and life is pretty much just slogging along trying to figure it out. And you have different factions. Uh, obviously, we have a representation of mankind in it. We have uh, what they call Xenos, which is the aliens. Uh, you have Chaos, which is supposed to be like uh, a different reality of dark entities that are the worst of our emotions and feelings. And uh, they all collide together in constant war and conflict. It's like a tug of war over the galaxy as it's all in ruin. And it's just kind of you sit there in the middle of it. And it's it's fantastic because it like embraces this idea of everything is always terrible and nothing will ever get better. And you just kind of find, you fall in love with that kind of aspect of it. The grim darkness is definitely a unique aspect of Warhammer 40k. Would you say that is the primary differentiation between Warhammer and other science fiction or fantasy universe? Or is there any other unique twist to Warhammer 40k that you would say makes it stand out from its competitors? So I think there are other science fiction's adaptations of it so like dune is a really good representation of like that there's really no good guys in dune but in this universe it truly is only despicable human beings and the people that are good almost consistently always die um they just get done in by people that are willing to undermine do the terrible things and they prosper but what makes warhammer unique against every other um video game tabletop franchise is its ridiculousness of over the top uh you have these space marines that are firing essentially a shell rocket propelled grenade missile that explodes into somebody and that's just a it's just a gun in this universe the uh the weapon used by the average man is uh it's called a flashlight essentially because it just can't really kill anything but there's just so many of them that they fire it and this is a this is a gun that can like melt through solid concrete it would go through any kind of steel in our our uh depiction of our world but like in this world it the, the community just calls it a flashlight and i think that's what makes it unique is that 
it is willing to go over the top and sometimes it fails it fails amazingly about how bad it is but whenever it lands it lands and it, it's it's fantastic and you touched briefly earlier on some of the key factions and races yeah. in warhammer 40k what would you say are the main predominant two? Would it be a battle between the Imperium versus Chaos? Or are there any other, like you said, major factions out there that are not affiliated with either group? Uh, so that's kind of the beauty of it. So it depends on the current setting. So uh, not everything revolves around the Imperium. The main two factions, it depends on the story. Uh, so you do have uh, the Imperium and Chaos. But you also have the uh, Xenos races that are playing a major role. So you have the Eldar, which are space elves. You have the Jukari, which are dark space elves. Uh, you have the Necrons, which are Egyptian skeleton robotic souls. And yes, it is as crazy as it sounds. You have the Orcs that are powered by the fuel of imagination. You have the uh, kind of a newer race in the galaxy, the Tau themselves, which are, uh, they, they call them the Gun Gundam communists and uh everything like that you have many 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 more uh you have squats uh you have tyranids uh the uh, bugs um any starcraft fans are probably um understand those kind of things and uh yeah i mean those are kind of the xenos races uh give me one second all good and i definitely say for the audience too what makes me fall in love with warhammer 40k in the setting is exactly what Sawyer described there is so much diversity in what's going on. The story isn't always pivoted on the Imperium versus Chaos, and that's what makes Warhammer so beautiful. It's a chaotic mess that the fandom just can't seem to get enough of and love. With so many different moving pieces and factors, you can never really tell who's going to be on top of the other during a conflict, because every single matchup could be like a coin toss. You never know how it's going to go in the story. And that what's makes it always fresh and riveting to the viewers and for people who read the novels, understand the lore, or even have the gameplay. It's a very enjoyable experience. Yeah, uh, Solo. And another really cool thing is that within those faction, uh, within a faction, there's many sub factions that are defined and that have their own characteristics. In the Imperium, you have the uh, Custodes, my personal favorite, the big golden boys. You have the Astra Militarum, which is just the average human's. You have the Adeptus Astarte, which are your token space marines that uh, are the flagship. You have the Imperial Knights, which are just massive hulking machines of war that just spit hate. Uh, you have the uh, Adeptus Sororitas, our nuns with guns, which are just kind of the female counterparts to the uh, Adeptus Astartes that uh, act as kind of like the faithful of the uh, Emperor himself. And within even those there's even more sub factions that you can grow attached to with the special boy space marines with uh i know your favorite being the dark angels what my favorite of the adeptus astartes as well and then you have like blood angels death watch so like the best thing about this universe is that you can pick a faction that kind of sings to you and they all have a distinct flavor inside of how they play inside of their role in the lore and you can kind of identify with them and just kind of uh fit how you want to in this setting by books that revolve around those factions instead of because the the volume of what you have to read if you wanted to read everything is so large i think it would take a person's lifetime to digest everything agreed and at the beginning of this podcast i did read a little passage and that's actually from one of my favorite warhammer 40k books that I would strongly encourage everyone, my readers including, or listeners including, to purchase. It is called 
Horus Rising by Dan Abnett. And mm. it perfectly encapsulates not only the universe, but what's going on during the Horus Heresy. It is, I'd say, a good intro book for one of the most major conflicts in that verse for what's happening. But on to Horus Heresy, I'd love to mm. talk about it now, but it's a bit too early oh. in the podcast. We'll talk about that a little <laughs> bit more down the road. Okay. In fact, I think it'd be a good idea for us to take a little bit of a step back and know we're at Warhammer 40k. We're at this period of time. Mm-hmm. Was it always like this? And how far back can we go? Or what are some of the main highlight points that a viewer should know? Granted, we already know that is a very mass universe. Mm-hmm. If you were to describe it to a layman has never heard anything about it, how would you encapsulate it to how we went from here to there? So um, in Warhammer, our timeline somewhat exists. So there, there is a time period where we would have existed, and it's not touched on pretty much at all. So um, there was the war in heaven uh, that predated us, that uh, essentially uh, before the human race was really even a thing, uh, just like a twinkle in the eye, there was uh, these great creators that were ro- roaming around uh, creating life. Um, name escapes me right now, but uh, while they're roaming around creating life and everything, they were encountered by the Necron Tier, which would eventually become the Necrons and everything like that. The Necron Tier were an unfortunate race that was plagued with radiation from their home planet. Um, just to try to not deep dive into every single war going on, a massive war broke out between factions with the uh, Eldar, the Orcs, at the time being called Krorks, were created and everything. Massive war broke out. The creators ended up almost completely passing away. We don't even know if they're still around anymore. Um, and it just left a massive rift as like pretty much nobody really won the war. Some You could say the Eldar pseudo won the war because they came out as kind of like the faction that stayed on top. So that took place. And then eventually, like in pretty much all of 40k, whoever's on top is always brought back down to the bottom. Uh, so they were um, doing, um, for lack of better words, a massive drug fueled orgy of decadence that created a warp god that just ripped apart the race and uh, sent at that time the humans in, into motion of the emperor of mankind who will be kind of like the focal point of the imperium setting his steps forward so th- that's the difficult part about explaining warhammer in a linear fashion is because every single race has a moving part the uh, the emperor, uh, after uh, some retconning, was uh, called what's an eternal. So pretty much a human that just can reincarnate, live forever. If he were to die, he would just come back into existence. But he's an extremely powerful psyker, space wizard. But a psyker just calls upon the power of the warp, which is the home world of chaos. And uh, he had an amazing foresight to be able to see, hey, if I'm going to let humankind prosper, I have to sit in the background. And he sat and he sat until this event with the Eldar took place where uh, humanity just started to fall into disarray and everything. Um, and even predating that, the humans were actually uh, space travelers and everything like that. They were an extremely powerful race with uh, extreme technology. And then they had kind of like a Terminator situation where their uh, technology they relied on turned on them. They uh, entered a massive war, completely stripped them of all their uh, supremacy and everything that was holding them together because they became so reliant upon uh, the technology they have in front of them. So, like, uh, you remember how I mentioned those Imperial Knights? Yes. Those would those would be essentially, like, mining drones for them. 
with like these 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 extremely powerful like war they call them war god engines like were just rudimentary frontline troops the the, the um the night uh the smaller knights um were literally what they would use to cut up just wood and mine drones they're and they're still hulking massive machines that could just rip apart a space marine in no time um that's kind of how powerful the human race was at that time but whenever technology failed them obviously everything kind of like fell apart um so uh the emperor um big golden psyche boy uh everyone uh just kind of uh, memes on like his obsession with gold and everything because you always see him in this gold armor and you don't actually even know what he looks like because he changes his appearance to whatever you want him to look like and that's kind of a uh thing that everyone jokes about is because we we don't know he could have just been a four foot two little dweeb but he made himself look like a seven eight foot god of man just towering over everybody and uh he ends up uniting all of uh humankind creates the uh space marines um unites earth uh brings in uh other factions with them and then they um uh, creates the Primarchs, and then the Chaos Gods are like, nah, you're not going to have what are essentially his ge- uh, genetically cloned sons that are not perfect clones of them. Uh, kind of think of it like, I'm going to give you a drop of my power, but you're still going to be your own individual. So he crafted each of them in that way. Chaos Gods grabbed all of them up because they were like, oh, if he maintains these 20 powerful sons, he will conquer everything, especially with the already armies that he has. And uh, they sh- just grabbed them up in the warp and shot them all over the place with the help of somebody in the humanity. Um, and uh, he had to go out and find them. And then that's uh, the 30K setting is what you would call it. So 20K would be the machine uh, downfall and everything like that. And then obviously well before uh, human uh, humankind's uh, counting was whenever the war in heaven and earth and all that fun stuff took place. Um, and... Uh, as you spoke, the 30k universe starts after the uh, the Primarchs are all gathered up and the crusade to, to take over the universe for the uniting of mankind is going on. And then the 40k universe, to get you present time, is whenever that all fell apart. Um, Horus, uh, one of the favorited sons of the Emperor, rebelled against him with a couple of his brothers, uh, other Primarchs, and they joined the Legion of Chaos to uh, take down the Emperor and ultimately failed but did not completely fail as they shattered the imperium and then you're in a current setting where nothing is good everything is terrible and nothing is staying together is the best shorthand answer i guess i could give congratulations Sawyer. you did a really good job at summarizing (laughs) law of events of warhammer and yeah for the record is very complicated and I was honestly curious to see if you could pull it off. So my apologies on that. But you oh, did no, a great job. Good. You are a good solo. I honestly, I, I missed plenty of important parts. But uh, <laughs> the podcast would be you asking me that question and me sitting here for an hour and 30 minutes. Because I kid you not, I imagine, Solo, you've looked them up. If any of your viewers just type in lore, and there will be lore on just one instance that's an hour and 30 minutes long just by itself. Yeah, another good example of a YouTuber I'd recommend if you're interested in Lord. His name is Luton09. Is that how oh, you say his um, name yeah, correctly? Luton, yeah, Luton is... Uh, that's a more of like a... Uh, a uh, if you just want to hear the lore, you know, you just want to get the, the bits and nuts and like have the setting in your ear and everything. Um, there's uh, there's a couple meme casters that are really good if you just want more digestible pieces. Um, you know, Ricky, 
Orchid8, um, he's a very popular uh, YouTuber uh, who's pretty much shifted his focus a lot towards Warhammer, has a lot of good uh, narrations of the uh, setting and everything that's like that halfway in between meme versus lore. But if you really just want to understand the lore on a deeper level, I don't think there's better than Luton. Definitely, I'd say he's the hardcover textbook version of lore, while there's are ones, like you mentioned, are short bit size. Mm-hmm. Um, his name is passing me now, but the Australian younger guy uh, major, kill. Video, major kill thank you yeah he's a he good example pure of like meme. Pure meme. <laughs> but his content is enjoyable and that's something i like but something i wanted to ask you a bit earlier we've been touching on it throughout our conversation so far mm-hmm. but from an outsider's perspective i'm sure you've heard a lot of controversies against the warhammer setting oh it's so violent it's so br- brutal there's so much bad things going on how can anyone enjoy this? Can you explain to a layman why Warhammer 40k with all the violence actually makes it better and to your opinion more enjoyable? Um, I would say most people would look at it as just violence. They don't understand the finer points. Um, the uh, the war and the conflict is just part of the setting. It's uh, think of it as the backdrop to the actual players <laughs> and the entire role. So like everyone's souped up badass and that's what keeps you hooked in, right? But what keeps you, like, actually staying around for these hundreds of hours buying the thousands of dollars of little plastic miniatures is the heroes and the setting of the story. And they are all heroes. That's what's so cool about it is that everyone that's in this setting, even the weakest, most pathetic person, is infinitely more badass than me and you. Um, And it allows you to fall in love with a completely unique character, maybe something you can share with another person that they like. Or you could just be stereotypical and just love all the characters that everyone else loves, and that's fine. Um, the violence and everything is—it's just fun. Um, it's why GTA is stuck around for so long. Is that these things that uh, war and everything—it entices you, it interests you because I mean, it's been a part of our history, and it allows us to be able to relate in a way to this universe. If this universe was a perfect setting of just no conflict or just everything is perfect and shining. How can we relate to that outside of just imagination? Uh, it, it like almost humanizes whenever you have a, what should be a better universe in the future that is still dealing with things that we deal with in the real world. And people don't like to hear it, but I always like to joke around and say, especially for young men, Warhammer 40 K is an ultimate, you know, male power fantasy i'm not saying that in a weird way but what guy wouldn't love to strap into ultramarine armor and thread through legion after legion of like demons straight from the warp or defend a cause to the dying breath or to have that amount of vitriol and zealousness for a cause that's why it's fun and all and it's over the top but that's why you love it being over the top you love seeing the dedication Mm -hmm. We'll have groups like the Black Templars, or my favorite, for example, the Dark Angels, who would go leaps and bounds to honor their oaths and creeds in the name of the God Emperor. And that's something that I find very fascinating in it, of like how far they would go on this. Yeah, and I also think the um, the violence, uh, since it's so uh, prominent and everything, is it allows them to go more over the top. Uh, you have the things like the Demunculaba, which is probably one of the most disturbing things in the entire series. And I would just, if you want to look it up, I would go look it up. Describing it is just kind of, I mean, it's it's completely doable to describe it, but it's, it's, it's brutal what's taking place there. Um, 
and then chaos of what they uh, embody as like the worst. Well, not the worst. So that's why chaos is unique is that they are our our fantasies, our dreams, our hopes turned up to the most extreme degree uh, in a concentrated place. And if it was just a normal setting with chaos being as crazy as they are, it would be so out of place. It, it would just it would just not mesh. But since everything is so war focused, everything is so terrible, it uh, allows for the extreme to just exist in harmony in a way. Um, so that's why I think just like if you don't like the war setting and everything like that, you're, you're not going to probably like Warhammer. But there is something in Warhammer for everybody um, because you can like painting the miniatures because let me tell you, the miniatures are sweet um they uh they look cool um you can style them however you want to do them they're not cheap but there is a part of it for you and if you're not for the lore and you like a tabletop kind of uh shooting style game warhammer is a perfect fit and will allow you to just kind of enjoy a time um playing with your friends or you can go to a local game shop and play there or you can do what uh, i got my friends into on tabletop simulator on steam we could have completely set up games that we create not spending anything but just tabletop's price tag and we can play a pickup game of warhammer whenever we feel like it and we're, we're not even close to each other so like it has a setting for everybody and that's what i love so much about warhammer again i can't preface how much this hobby has been a passion for me some of my fondest memories is years ago when i was with you actually mm-hmm. and we we're over at a friend's of ours house his name's gage hopefully he'll join us later on if he doesn't hi gage if you're listening to this but we were over there listening to Warhammer 40k lore while all of us had our own individual armies and in set, and we we're all painting miniatures. And I think, you know, nothing like just chilling around, having a drink with the boys while painting miniatures. And later, us playing, you playing orcs and rolling what I swear to be a bucket of dice on the table and re rolling half of those dice because they were one. Sixes. Sixes. Oh, sixes, my apologies. Yeah, yeah, Daka. <laughs> Daka, Daka. The Dakas, yeah. And it's just the absurdity of it, but there's some of the greatest memories I'd honestly say I'd have in a while. Yeah, I but, mean, it's it's super exciting and being able to sit there and just enjoy that with each other because I remember uh, I got my um, my uh, Deptus Custodes, which are supposed to be these almost unkillable, movable things. But then you get a lucky roll on them and wipe them out with like a guardsman, and I'm just sitting there like, well this sucks because i basically just lost what is the equivalent of like five of your units just in one turn and that's the fun of it too is that the the tabletop game isn't it's it's got its metas and everything just like every game does nowadays but it's so up to chance that you can just as long as you don't take it too seriously you can have some fun because when you're rolling hot it feels great whenever you're rolling bad you can laugh about it and just be like holy crap this is not my game Definitely. Um, to go back over to the lore, though, although yep. it was a nice to have a brief stop, pit stop on the tabletop, I wanted to ask some questions more about the Imperium. In the setting mm-hmm. of the Imperium, we spoke already about the Guardsmen mm-hmm. and briefly touched on what would be arguably the strongest unit. What would you say is your personal favorite, like, strongest unit in the Imperium of Man? And what would you was like the weakest would you say sure to guardsmen or is there a surprise when you got up your sleeve that people don't know about unfortunately it is the guardsman um it is just a human being with regular well not regular armor but just our our upgraded flak jacket and a powerful weapon that essentially results in just to a flashlight 
But whenever you say the strongest unit, that's where things get really tricky. So let's, or we'll leave named characters out of this, because if you don't know in the 40k universe, named characters get plot armor thicker than I think anything in the universe. <laughs> like, a named character can do something that is literally not supposed to be possible because the writer loves them. And that's just what you're going to have to live with. Uh, there was a time where the... Uh, We'll get to that. I'll answer your question. So uh, the Adeptus Custodes are the uh, first thing that would come to your mind after the uh, Primarchs. So the Primarchs would be the first, but let's we'll, we can talk about those later because they deserve their own little segment, I think, at least. Um, but the Custodes are unique because the Space Marines are heavily modified human beings that go through uh, inserting extra organs into them. Uh, they go through gene seed testing and everything. The Adeptus Custodes are just men. Now they're seven-foot golden gods of men with six-packs on six-packs, but they are just men, and they make space marines look like guardsmen. They could cut them in half and without even thinking about it, and what they're capable of doing is just absolutely mind-boggling and setting. One custodies is an army, because they don't operate in big groups because there's so few of them in the setting. Um... And then the weakest would be guardsmen, but there are things that um, you, you could say are even stronger. Custodies have no connection to the warp, so you have the Grey Knights. The Grey Knights are the elite of the Custodies that are psychers. They are powerful warriors, and they're a hidden faction that's not supposed to exist that are just absolutely beasts in their own right. But then you have people like um, uh, the Death Watch leader... Um, the uh, oh man, his name escapes me. Uh, he he unfortunately ends up passing in the uh, 30k universe, but he was what's called the uh, Emperor's Champion. Um, uh, his name will come to me later, but he he was fighting against Primarchs in his own right, and he was literally just sent out to go kill Chaos during the 30k setting. The Emperor's like, "You're gonna go kill that champion." Killed him, came back. Okay, no, 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 you go kill that one. Killed him, came back. And it took writers basically just bullshitting to get rid of him because, I mean, he was just kind of that, hey, he wins button. Um, uh, I'll give you the name whenever it comes to me, though. No, definitely, and I don't blame you for that because there's a name of a long list of characters, but out of curiosity for the audience, who would you say is your personal favorite character in a Warhammer 40k setting? Um, oh, wow. Um, you think I would be prepared for that? Um, but so I have a personal flavor favorite. Um, he he hasn't really done anything in the setting. Um, a character but, moving pieces then in the background, or he is uh um uh Constantine Valdor. Uh, he's the leader of the Custodes. I'm sorry, I'm still staying in that thing. He's not even the current leader because he's gone and missing. But he is uh, gathering an army in the pocket of the warp with uh, with different factions, and nobody knows why. Um, but this man stood up to Primarchs in his own right, fought them toe-to-toe. -to -toe. And again, this is just a man. This man was so important that when the Emperor sensed his existence, sprinted to him as a baby... Met his mother was like, I need this child, grabbed him, and then just this man was so good at killing people, the emperor gave him a spear that has him live the people's lives that he's killing. So while he's killing thousands of people in battle, he is experiencing their lives so that he can keep on his level of regret. So the emperor gave him a handicap just so he wouldn't lose this humanity. He is such a beast. 
in combat and uh he's kind of a prick and i just i just love that like he he is he's just you love it um uh another uh what's a current um setting uh favorite of mine um would you say Lionel Johnson for the? I'm not gonna Angel use fan? Lionel Johnson. <laughs> no, I'm not. Uh, he is awesome. Uh, uh, he is kind of. So all Primarchs are kind of have their flaws. We'll say Lionel Johnson is. Uh, he can't communicate too good. Now he's a beast in combat. He knows how to keep his men in line, but he cannot communicate well with his uh with his um soldiers and everything he's equivalent if you had a chart of all your like your character stats and all of them are maxed out and charisma's at like one yeah. and that's basically lionel johnson that's why you love him so much too yeah yeah because he's not an idiot but he just cannot communicate well with people but man is he a beast uh in uh combat uh and just uh whenever it comes to leading uh troops and everything like that uh, he, uh, the Dark Angels were, um, at the time of 30k, the strong, uh, one of, we're not going to say the strongest, because obviously you had the Lunar Wolves with Horus, but considered one of the strongest, um, uh, uh, uh sub-factions of the, uh, Space Marines, um, and they were given, uh, some of the super-duper space weapons, they were one of the few people that were even trusted with it, the Emperor was like, yeah, you can have it. Uh, they you would consider them kind of the warrior warriors. Uh, their job was to go out and get shit done, um, kind of faction. Um, uh, but out of curiosity, though, if you want to go back to this question, would you, on on top of your head, know who's your most hated character, maybe, or universally accepted in the community? Like this guy is a hated character. Erebus. I could do that one real easy. Erebus. Erebus. Uh, yeah, Erebus is probably universally the most hated uh, character, but while he is the most hated, uh, that that shows how good writing it is. Uh, he is um, a member of the World Eaters. He is the first captain of the World Eaters, uh, which is, again, just a uh, space marine faction that fell to chaos. He is the one that set all the pieces in motion that fell the entire Imperium. Of course, with the help of uh, big, powerful chaos de- deities in the background, but... He is the one that uh, uh, poisoned Horus. He is the one that convinced his Primarch to fall. He's the one that uh, killed my personal favorite, favorite of all time uh, character, um, Garvel Logan. Uh, and uh, he's pretty much killed 90% of people's favorite characters. Uh, so fuck Erebus. Uh, you'll you hear that a lot when you get into the... If I'm allowed to curse, I'm sorry if I'm not allowed, no, allowed to. So, to okay, well fuck <laughs> Erebus. Uh, he is, he is, he's the worst. But... that's part of him that is interesting is because he is so terrible, but he does need to die. Uh, He's just annoying in the setting now, Um, (laughs) but he would be my least favorite. Do you have a least favorite solo? I was actually going to agree on that, but I was (laughs) going to think you're going to say it first because as you, it's funny because I'm telling, I'm promising you two listeners who aren't into Warhammer or 40k. Once you get into the community, it's almost like religious dogma. Like you have to answer this if to see if you're a Warhammer 40k fan. Like who's the most hated? And if you get like the wrong answer, it's like, oh, he's not a real fan like that. Yeah, it's, I, it's really I, funny in that way. But yeah, all, of course, all in jest, all in jest though. Yeah, I mean, you said favorite, and then so many flood your mind. You say least favorite. <laughs> oh, that that's easy. Like, like there's somebody yeah. at the top, you know. Um, it, of course, there's are some other uh, flavored uh, least favorites. So, uh, um. Some people don't like Mortarian. Uh, the uh, I know Gage is going to call heresy if I were to say that, but he is a massive <laughs> hypocrite. 
uh, Primarch that basically got outdone by his first uh, his cap uh, first captain um, got tricked into joining uh, is a massive hypocrite because he hates psychers but then he joins what is basically the embodiment of psychic energy and chaos uh so a lot of people don't like his character but he has a weird way i would describe him i know this is a different universe but he's kind of the Mm -hmm. aaron Greyjoy of like game of thrones yeah or like the warhammer universe he's just a guy who tries so hard to demand like all the stuff that he hasn't really earned and unfortunately, how the Warhammer 40k universe is, he always gets a short end of the stick, no matter what. Where he's always like, there's someone better than him doing something better than him. Where it's he has very few moments where he has his time to shine type thing. But that's what is almost a tragic character I describe him. I wouldn't really say I hate mm-hmm. him. I just feel pity for him, not even sorrow, just pity. Like wow, like you have such a miserable existence as like you know. A character in this universe but yeah most primarchs had terrible childhoods uh oh yeah just a s- simple way to say it um and they are uh they have massive daddy issues um it's just kind of this consensus the emperor was not a good father to his primarchs which are his sons um some were just blatantly treated better uh and then others were treated terribly and surprise the ones treated terribly typically went to chaos um so that that Fulgrim is uh, Fulgrim really that makes me upset because yeah he, Fulgrim was a really good one at the beginning yeah so for people who don't know Fulgrim is one of the pi- primarchs who was in charge to basically his main so as we addressed earlier all the primarchs have their own little niche things they're good at and things they're bad at Fulgrim was very good at art and beauty but his downfall is him being very prideful and arrogant almost like a Lucifer-esque character and unfortunate, please correct me here, Sawyer, he picked up a certain weapon that was cursed, and it corrupted him? Yes. Was that so one he, during his battles? Yes, he was given a Chaos Blade whenever uh, they uh, invaded a planet, and uh, for whatever reason, in all of his infinite wisdom, he kept using it, and the Chaos Blade slowly began to corrupt him over time. And then eventually, um, this is where some of the writing gets a, a little not in the best favor. Uh, it quote-unquote possessed him. Uh, we believe it did, and then his uh, his faction, even though they had turned to chaos already, uh, tortured him to drag the demon out so they could have their Primarch back, because even though the um, the Legion, um, and the, each faction's called a Legion, uh, I guess I should have used that earlier, uh, they, uh, they even when they turn, most of them do still love and revere their Primarch, uh, especially prior to the falling, they, they love their Primarch, it is their father um, to every single Space Marine. Um, and uh, they tried to bring him out, and then once he got out of this essential torture session, he was pretty hyped up about it. And he's like, oh yeah, I was here the whole time, I just wanted to get tortured. I banished that demon myself. And then I, I feel like that was the turning point where Fulgrim's writing just kind of fell off a cliff, uh, where like he sucked, but the characters around him were still pretty cool. That's the unfortunate thing, because you have characters with... That Legion is the Emperor's Children, is what they're known as, mm-hmm. and you have... Rylanor, and Rylanor yep. is a dreadnought. And for the audience that don't know, some of the Grimdark, when you are getting of age or of use for the Imperium of Man, and you were a good soldier, sometimes they'll put you in a living coffin inside a giant mech machine. It's like a slaughterhouse machine. Uh, and, just to, it, yeah. it, it just, uh, sorry, Solo. Um, it's it's typically Marines that survive in uh, just grotesque uh, explosions. So like. If they're just a floating brain in a jar, they'll just put them in this life support coffin. You got that right on the nail. 
um it's not just age but it's literally like they you have to be, have been like pretty much on needed life support you can't fight anymore but you're worth keeping around because of your knowledge and your skill in battle they upload you into this uh very large death machine but continue and he was, I would argue, one of the most loyal to the Emperor's children and to the Emperor. And when the event of the Horus Heresy, we said this earlier, we'll get back to that, just not yet, mm -hmm. happened, and there was chaos and pandemonium everywhere, and then you had Fulgrim, who was now corrupted by the Taint of Chaos, was basically about to kill Rhaenor, and he was being prideful and gloating. But Rhaenor had a kill switch that was equivalent to, I think... A you like Warhammer lore person said a thousand hydrogen bombs going off at once or something insane like that yep. right in Fulgrim's face and Fulgrim still didn't die because he's a Primarch but that was like his last moment he was like you know I'm loyal to the Emperor too I die and like I said it, he's a very loving yeah. Oh, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. oh uh, you want to know what's even more badass in that story what's that? not only did he do that but there was another chaos turned space marine faction. Uh, the uh, oh, um, um, Magnus's Magnus uh, the Reds faction. Um, oh, well, I'm trying to remember a name. Um, they weren't the 11th Legion. They were. Oh man, uh, blue. Wait, were they the Iron blue. Hands or is that Murtaragu? No. Uh, not the Murtaragu. not the uh, Iron Hands. Oh my gosh. As you could see, ladies and gentlemen, apologies, but the lore is very thousand dense. Sons. There's a lot. thousand sons. Thousand, thousand sons, sons, thank you. Yes, uh, the uh, the Egyptian uh, psyker boys. They were there. They had already turned to chaos, just like Fulgrim. And his speech to Fulgrim, while Fulgrim was torturing him, trying to mocking him and everything, trying to turn him, they held back the explosion with their psyker powers. And then he gave a speech that inspired them so much, they said, ah, fuck it. They turned off their protection shield and just let Fulgrim get blasted, including themselves, killing him. Oof. They said, oh, no, this guy is so badass that he basically converted them back to the Imperium in that moment. Rylanor is an amazing character. Definitely. I'd say he's up there with Sly Malbo. Uh, that's all <laughs> story for a different day. He's more of a mean character, I'd say. But he's yeah, he is. He's awesome. Well, we've spoken great lengths of the Imperium of Man. Mm -hmm. And I'll ask you a few more questions before we get to our sponsor on that. But... What is the current state of the God Emperor? What happened to him? Uh, so the God Emperor, re um, the most recent book actually tells us what happened to him whenever he battled Horus at the uh, pan-ultimate moment, the uh, Horus Heresy. So uh, Horus had gotten to um, uh, uh, gotten to uh, the like pan-ultimate fight where they're sieging Terra, which is what they call Earth. It's called Terra. And uh, everything was going their way and then it just kind of shifted to not going their way due to chaos just not doing a good job at being unified as their biggest downfall so they could they struggle with working together um uh had time to um send a counter push uh to uh horus they boarded his uh ship and then basically they realized the horus has been pumped full of chaos juice i mean pumped full from all four chaos gods making him rival the emperor himself and uh, just to put into perspective a primarch could cut down a custodes a custodes could cut down a um could cut down a uh um a space marine space marine could cut down a guardsman easily how they transition the emperor could erase a primarch from existence 
it, the, the jump there is so massive but the chaos was pumping him so much that he was on par so a boarding party uh ended up going on you consisted of my boy uh constantine uh uh valdor um dorn uh the um uh, a primarch um sanguinius uh a couple custodies and some of the best guardsmen uh joined up with the emperor go in um everything kind of goes to shit and then there's a giant really hard to explain without reading the book uh kind of uh battle of tarot cards and psychic warp bullshit uh where they're changing planes of existence and everything but what boils down is the emperor ended up getting absolutely decimated by horus uh before uh the emperor ended up erasing horus from existence um and uh the emperor is sitting on a golden throne because that's his favorite color a living skeleton in a way being powered by a what is it a thousand now it's like 10 or they're weird with numbers. 10,000 psychers have to be sacrificed to him a day to keep him alive because he acts as the lighthouse that allows them to do light speed travel around the world. Um, he is not in a good scenario, and that's why the human is, uh, mankind's not really dominating the setting currently. It's one of those things where it is unfortunate to where I'd say he's left almost like a husk in a chair, is how it's been described at times, but. Mm -hmm. There are always rumors that we see glimpses of him. An example is when he spoke to Gilliman telepathically yep. and broken fragments of thoughts trying to explain to him once Gilliman came back. But that's an issue that we have not addressed yet in the podcast, and my apologies to the audience for not bringing it up earlier. I would like to do a brief conversation on the loyal Primarchs. Sure. And would you be down to give like a very brief like rundown of like who they are and what faction they are with? Yeah, sure. All right. Okay. So uh, we will start at the top. You have Lionel Johnson. He is the uh, leader of the uh, of the uh, Dark Angels. Uh, he is uh, most known for being the greatest swordsman. Maybe actually can be beat by Sanguinius because Sanguinius is the best at everything. But he is a tactical leader that just is about know-how, secrecy, and just no-nonsense. Uh, you have Lehman Russ, uh, the leader of the Space Wolves, who is about, uh, he is called the executioner of the uh, Emperor. Uh, he would be called to go grab and wrangle in Primarchs or uh, just get uh, a kind of um, some good killing done. They are the space vikings of this universe uh so if you're all about that space viking life and then uh the dark angels uh if i'm right solo is kind of like uh templars they're all about the crusades um so like if that's your vibe the, they'll associate with them uh the um space wolves while they do get the moniker of being furries because they have a lot of things called wolves and they actually do have wolves they're they're space vikings so they got that cool vibe about them you have jagadai khan who is the uh leader of the white scars who is the uh, kind of like the uh, Mongols, where they're all about go fast, get shit done. And no one can shit talk better than Jagged Icon. He destroys his brothers and quick wit whenever it comes to just shit talking. So while Briefly they are not... You, I'd say no, he's no, one of the most underrated Primarchs, too, that are loyalist because the whole time, I don't think he was tempted once, because he's known as being a very reasonable Primarch. He's like, wait... You're telling me I could join Chaos and have infinite torture after this, but I would go against the Emperor? And then you have the Chaos, like, you know, Primarchs being like, yeah, come join us. He's like, no, that's stupid. Why would I do that? <laughs> so he was, he was tempted in a way that you would see, like you said, a rational person would be tempted. Mm -hmm. He sat there and was like, okay, logistically, what you're saying 
is retarded. If I'm allowed <laughs> to say that too, I'm sorry, well, Solo. But essentially, you're telling me if I join this group of people, I'm damning all my sons and torturing myself. Like, I don't agree with what dad does all the time, but that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. All of you are hypocrites because you're saying <laughs> what dad is doing is essentially what you're just doing back to him. Uh, he's He is hands down what I consider the most underrated Primark in the setting that's loyalist. Um, then uh, I guess, uh, do you just want the live ones and then we'll go to the, well, they're not all live. So uh, Jagged Tycon, Lehman, Russ are missing. I assume they're in the warp. Um, Robute uh, Gilliman, the leader of the Ultramarines, the Smurfs, are the Roman legions. So if you're all about that Roman empire, you're going to love them. Uh, Robute Gilliman's uh, uh, thing that he is very good at is logistics. It's really boring. Being a poster yeah, boy. <laughs> they are the poster boys. Uh, so, like, there was a time where basically Ultramarine named characters were doing things that even Primark uh, just couldn't do. Uh, so we try to forget that time of the lore where a writer obviously had a way too much preference. Um, but they, they're all about uh, logistics. Uh, he is currently the leader of the Imperium of Man uh, as a whole right now. Um, with uh, L- Lionel Johnson being back in the setting, we're going to have to see how that pans out, but... We shall see. Um, you have uh, Rogel Dorn, uh, leader of the uh, uh, Yellow Emperor's Fist, I think. Uh, I might be wrong on that. Um, it's the Emperor's Fist, correct. You're right okay. on that. Cool. Uh, they are all about phalanx uh, building up. So whenever the Siege of Tor- uh, Terra was taking place, they were holding it down. And his uh, ability to hold that siege absolutely just said, nope, you're staying right here. And they just could not get through him. He cannot lie, though. So there's some kind of funny moments where, like, they're having conversations and he just he is a terrible person to talk to because he just he he doesn't have that normal wit about him. Uh, He is presumably dead and he's missing a hand. Um, So there's that. Um, That is the what could be alive Primarchs. Uh, in the current setting, that stay well. Oh, what Conrad about... Kurz. Conrad Kurz is the other. Yeah. One. Um, he is currently. Uh, he uh, his um, his thing is uh, secret secrecy and kind of like uh, behind the scenes uh, battle. Uh, so Would there you is say Vulcan is similar in that lane because oh, correct me if I'm wrong on the Vulcan lore, but isn't he just away right now? And he says, "I'll be back when you guys need me." Uh, Vulcan is a also an eternal, just like his father. So he is dead, but he comes back from death. He needs. Uh, he has uh, these. His um, his legion is looking for his artifacts. If I remember right, there's twelve of them. If they collect all of them, he said he will return. Um, he is. Uh, his uh, specialty is uh, being a good boy. Uh, his faction is probably the most kind-hearted faction that cares about saving civilians because space marines don't care about human lives. Uh, not all of them, at least. Uh, they consider them all expendable costs because a single human life is nothing in this universe. Um, and then uh, Conrad and Fire. They're all about that fire. Uh, they have uh, jet black skin. Not black skin, like charcoal black skin and fiery red eyes because of the home world that they come from. Conrad Kurz, Secrecy. He is the uh, uh, kind of like crow and everything like that. He is currently in the warp. Um just constantly killing uh, the uh, World Eaters uh, Primark people after he beat the shit out of them and forced them into hiding, uh, just kind of flying around and everything like that. And then the confirmed dead, probably not going to come back, are uh, Sanguinius, the uh, leader of the Blood Angels, the uh, Vampire Boys. 
Yeah, yeah he was, was the best Primark. Uh, just did everything. That was literally his yep. thing. Is that he was the best. Uh, he was the best at fighting. He was charismatic. He wasn't the best at being charismatic. Um, he had giant angel wings, and just all around, all of his brothers basically liked him. Um, not as much as everyone liked Horus, but uh, Sanguinius would be number two. And uh, whenever they were, uh, everything was going to shit uh, during the Horus Heresy. Uh, L. Lionel Johnson was going to be the leader of the army. Rabute Gilliman was going to be leader of logistics, and Sanguinius was going to fill the role of the emperor if the emperor was slain. So, like, just to give you an idea of where his brothers see him is, Sanguinius is going to be emperor if emperor dies. Dies. That's what's happening. Um, but unfortunately, he was killed by Horus. Uh, Ferris Manus would be the other. Uh, he is the Iron Hands that you were thinking about earlier. Uh, Solo. Um, he is uh, he is all about forging uh, technology and just kind of flesh is weakness kind of uh, thing. Uh, sometimes it's taken a little too far, but uh, they cut off their hands and replace them with metal. It's kind of silly, but uh, it's still kind of cool. They they use tanks and stuff like that. He carries a big warhammer and smashes things. He was uh, betrayed by his. Uh, his uh, brother, Fulgrim, who was his closest uh, friend and was uh, unfortunately killed. Um, so, yeah, that would be all of the uh, Loyalists. And then there's two that we don't know what happened to him. There is no history on it. Thank you very much for that, Sawyer. And yeah. before we go over to our sponsor, do you have any recommendation for the audience in novels that particularly focus on the Imperium or focus on your favorite Legion or faction? Um, all the Primark books. So every single Primark has their individual book. Um, they are hard to find. They are expensive. So if you have the money, go for that. Now, I would say where you were mentioning, the Horus Heresy is the best series. I would say if you're getting into it, um, it's going to tell you how the setting is up. It talks about the Primarchs, their big battles, and everything. It has all the heavy hitters. Uh, that's where I would start. Um, and uh, if not, um, there's uh. Books about uh, the Imperium Man fighting the Xenos, um, the name escapes me, that are really good. It's about a uh, a uh, human man, basically, who's a part of a uh, crusade, essentially, against Xenos, just running around solving mysteries and whatnot. Um, I would say those are the two best. I'll get you that name uh, to start with. Okay, thank you very much. Mm -hmm. And with that, we'll go ahead and go over a word to our sponsor. Welcome to Blind Knowledge. This is a podcast that consists of a conglomerate of different people who all have the sh shared the common goal of bringing stories to life. If you are interested in exploring the depths of human knowledge, from ancient legends to modern enigmas, we have it for you. Here at Blind Knowledge, we have dozens of different podcasts all conglomerating together to share our ideas and stories and provide the best content suitable for our audience. Tune into Blind Knowledge to know more, and if you think you have what it takes for a passion or a hobby, or even something just on the side, I'd recommend you join our team. If you want information to contact us at Blind Knowledge, you should talk to our account on Twitter, Blind Knowledge, that is spelled at B-L-I-N-D, Knowledge, K-N-O-W-L-E-D-G-E. If you want to find out more about us, our same at is on our website at blindknowledge.com. I look forward to speaking with you and hoping you can be a member of our team. Thank you. Okay, so we discussed in Grand Flake the Imperium of Man and a lot of the main factions. And now we should get into what's on the other side of the coin, if you will. I'd like to discuss about the Chaos Gods. Currently in the setting, there are four main Chaos Gods, but we recently got a new player. 
would you be interested in discussing that? Uh, sure. So we'll, uh, do you mind if I stop, start from the top of the uh, four Chaos Gods? Yes, please do. Uh, so there's four main Chaos Gods. Uh, you have Korn, uh, who is the god of battle, honor, but lots and lots of battle. Uh, he demands blood be spilled, skulls be collected, blood for the blood god, skulls for the skull throne. Um, but he is uh, big red boy armor, and he likes to kill things. Uh, he is empowered by human beings' uh, desire to be honorable, to fight in war. So obviously he's very powerful since humans and any kind of civilization has been warring at all times. You have Nurgle, who is pestilence, disease, and rot. He embodies the natural progression of life and just how all of us die at the end. And he is kind of the embodiment of uh, just um, natural life progress in a way. Uh, stagnation, some could say, and everything like that. Um, he's the big stinky boy um, who uh, uh, has giant pock covered disgusting creatures roaming around in the middle of battle who uh not only kill you in the most terrible ways but give you a disease on your way out uh you have um uh zinch um pretty much everyone pronounces it differently which is pretty apt for what his thing is is that his name is pronounced differently he is the god of deceptions lies but he is the true god of progress sorry nurgle is stagnation uh, Zinch is the god of progress. Uh, he is all schemes on top of schemes. So if you had a plan to subvert your boss, he would be the guy that has 12 more plans on top of your plan that he put you into a chess game to sit these plans in motion so that in South Korea they are toppled over because he somehow did the butterfly effect of ridiculousness. Um, he, but he again, he embodies uh, man's ideals of progress. Um, as you can see, as I'm speaking on him, chaos gods all have a massive negative thing about them because they are the terrible side of things. But they also have a natural human thing about them. And then the newest chaos god of the four. Uh, so this is the the youngest of the four, Slanesh. Um, a uh, god of decadence, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, uh, who is all about excess pleasure um taken to the unteenth degree if anyone is a little bit older they might know turned up to 11 uh from uh, kind of an older movie but uh showing my age um she is about uh or he uh one of the few times where like it's not really laid out and ne neither does it have to be because the person would change its appearance on whatever it wanted to be at the moment um is about music art pleasure but taken to the highest degree where pain becomes pleasure taken even further. And then whenever you don't think it can be taken even further, it takes you to a next level where like your senses are being fried off. And then the one God you're talking about, I believe solo is malice. Is that the one? Correct. Malice. The one we were talking offline and I was mentioning how there's a, weird case which we would touch on the end of this podcast how warhammer 40k lore has been around since what the 1980s early 80s i believe so i believe so i mean uh it started with what's called fantasy um warhammer fantasy uh you guys have maybe seen it in the total warhammer series um mm -hmm. uh, the uh, top down kind of uh, battle simulators 
Um, it started in a fantasy universe very reminiscent of Tol- Tolkien with dwarves and elves, like a lot of things that were popping up during that time with that D&D flavor mixed into it. And then they it just was a natural did... competitor, correct? To Warhammer, I'm sorry, to D&D, you'd say like Warhammer Fantasy, or was it just around coincidentally at the same time? I would say it it, it, it had its own niche because uh, D&D was a uh, not a tabletop. It was a uh, a RPG uh, where you would just roll dice um, and create your own characters. Uh, fantasy was miniatures. Um, eventually becoming the because that's obviously where its bread and butter was at. So uh, there was probably some competitors back in the day. Uh, obviously, I wasn't around during that time. It, it probably squashed them out because if you know anything about uh, Warhammer, the uh, the powers that be that control everything, uh, they kind of own that property tight as can be. And anyone that comes close to it, they're going to they're going to make you pay some money for it. But Definitely. Malice existed in fantasy, but it was written because this was in the early stages by a uh they had uh, somebody just kind of write a side story uh, and a book, and they could not get the rights for it. So this was in the infancy of um, uh, Warhammer fantasy and everything, so they didn't really get down that whole copyright law and everything. So they couldn't really get it. Um, so then whenever it came time for uh, War- Warhammer 40K, whenever it came to be, they they loved the idea of Malice, and they wanted to bring it into the setting, but uh, they couldn't uh, because uh, they didn't own it. So he exists, but he doesn't. <laughs> um, so Malice is true chaos. He despises the fact that the four chaos gods work with each other. He thinks that it goes against everything that chaos is actually supposed to be. And uh, um, yeah, it's kind of like that's what he is upset about. And it, that's what's kind of cool about him is that he kind of becomes like the antithesis to like the gods are supposed to be about oh our individualism and everything, but they work together. And he's like, no. I'm good. We are all separate, and I'm going to tear you down. So it's like a chaos god fighting chaos. And then there is a sixth one. I don't know if you've heard about uh, Solo Vashtor. Uh, he's the machine god. Uh, so machines are becoming more prominent, and uh, basically any belief that's held in our real world, there is a in the warp. There is a um, uh, a like a entity of psyker energy uh, creation of it. So like with hatred, war, and uh, fighting came corn and all his demons um whenever all this machines and belief in machine gods and stuff came to be Vashtor came to uh to exist and uh, he's kind of making some moves in the settings right now now they're not main players but Vashtor actually does have a model in the uh, tabletop so but I, I would say malice is probably my favorite chaos god because of how he just works against them nice and that's what i find interesting about the setting because what people don't know as you briefly touched on it with Sonesh, but the chaos guards aren't necessarily physical beings they're more of like entities you can't really slay these entities because they are concepts in themselves so Mm -hmm. for corn for example he is the concept of war of rage of anger these are natural things that we as humans and as species in the warhammer setting have you can't to kill corn, you'd have to basically lobotomize everything so no one has anger, which is almost like I would describe it as a cat and mouse game where you'd have the chaos gods playing around with the Imperium. And there's sometimes in the books where they would almost pull their punches a little bit just to keep the game going a little bit longer. Because at the end of the day, if there's no anger or rage to be consumed, corn ceases to exist. So. 
That's why we were talking about earlier Malice. His whole character arc, what he gets pissed is he wants to eradicate everything for there to be oblivion, for there to be nothing. Mm-hmm. While the other ones want to keep playing this cat and mouse Tom and Jerry game saying, oh, well, I go off of you, you come after me, we're kind of inseparable. Which mm-hmm. is something I definitely find interesting in the plot and would love, although we can't use his name in the Warhammer 40k because like you said, copyright reasons, it'd be interesting to see where we could go from there. Yeah, um, so in the fantasy universe, Zinch is the only one that understands that if Chaos wins, they cease to exist. If there is no real realm people with these emotions and feelings, Chaos would just poof. So Chaos is basically fighting a losing war. If they win, they cease to exist. But in the fantasy universe, Zinch undermines their entire attempt at trying to, because the Chaos Gods have their counterparts in the fantasy, sorry if I didn't explain that. Uh, tries to un- basically undermines chaos gods and makes them lose for a time just so he can keep playing the game uh the great game they call it um so we don't know if any of the chaos gods understand that in the 40k because it hasn't been specifically said but it's pretty it's, it's pretty safe to assume that zinch understands it because he is the lord of scheming and everything um where the other chaos gods really are about their pushing forward their agenda and everything but they will pull punches to work together to fight so they all work together to fight against the emperor because they found out oh he he can win he he can beat us we need to stop him or sometimes the chaos gods will work together in tandem to take down a chaos god that's getting too powerful uh so like at certain times some chaos gods are stronger than others um so in a time where everything's warring constantly corn sits up pretty high also, there's all these planets that are uh, doing kind of drugs, sex, and all the fun stuff. So, uh, Slanesh is also pretty powerful. But if there was, like, to say, a massive new disease that Nurgle put out into the world, and it just kept killing planet after planet after planet, they weren't able to fight wars, they weren't able to uh, concoct schemes because there was just this pestilence going, the three other Chaos Gods might join together to subdue Nurgle and actually help mankind so that he doesn't become the pantomount powerful god and that's something interesting that i believe we haven't touched on but a funny thing about the warhammer 40k is how at times you see they have blatant hypocrisy and i don't mean that in a negative way but almost in an ironic way so briefly touching on the imperium man then going straight back to chaos but Mm -hmm. imperium man is very anti-psyker they despise them yet they need them for things like the warp and the God Emperor of Mankind is one of the most powerful psychers, if not the most of all time. While you have Chaos Gods, like we addressed earlier, whose intended purpose is to cause chaos, but they don't really do it. Or they're not supposed to be orderly or organized. So mm-hmm. perfectly brought up what you said earlier, where they saw the God Emperor, and then they all collectively united, which is something, quote-unquote, Malice would say chaos doesn't do. It only envelops destruction like what are you guys doing teaming up we don't do that that's an imperium thing yeah and that's something i find very interesting and poetic in a way of like a lot of the settings and characters but out of yeah go ahead oh no 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 you're you're fine solo i was going to ask you out of the main rosters of the chaos gods which Mm -hmm. one do you find most intriguing to you of the chaos gods Correct. Is there any that you find to be interesting or you feel like are always a good fight when they're brought up in lore? Um, I would say Nurgle is my uh, the one that's very interesting. So uh, 
Nurgle is the only Chaos God that actually loves and cares for his demons. Uh, he actually holds, they call him uh, Papa Nurgle. He actually does love his creations and everything. Uh, so whenever a demon's created, a part and a shard of the Chaos God is like ripped out and put into the world. And Nurgle has a ton. Um, so like him individually in battle, he could be considered the weakest just because there is so many of his... Um, his creations because he cares about them he would never slay them uh there's a uh a i believe it's the great unclean one or uh i, I believe it's a great unclean one i great could be unclean wrong. one one of his champions yeah I, I can't remember if it's that one or it's a different name it's uh basically a creature that uh runs around uh, on a battlefield and he sees everything is beautiful and all of these things are his friends and he's going to play with them but reality, he's killing them, pulling them apart, eating them. But he, he sees them as playing, and he, he, he doesn't hear their screams. He hears laughter. And there's just kind of something whimsical about that. And um, that that is probably why I think Nurgle is probably the most interesting one for me personally, is because all the other Chaos Gods are pretty straightforward, but that, that aspect of Nurgle is kind of entertaining to me. And for Nurgle too, he believe. Correct me if I'm wrong. In this, doesn't he have a garden? I know it's one of his main pitches where yeah, infect people and say like, "Come join me in the garden." And he portrays himself mm-hmm. as like a friend to them. Because I remember reading in a lore story about a planet that was about to be taken over by Nurgle. Mm-hmm. That there were workers having visions of an elderly man who was very sweet and kind, and saying, "Join me in the garden." And he'd visit them in their dreams. Until eventually Nurgle crashed through, and then at that point they're already insane where they join them. But do you want to elaborate more in the garden? Yeah, sure. So uh, the garden of Nurgle is actually like the section of the warp where Nurgle resides. Um, That's where he creates his concoctions of all this uh, terrible, terrible disease and everything like that. That's where it's uh, in his little pot of where everything's created. That's uh, because every single chaos god has their little pocket dimension where they are the strongest. and uh yeah the garden the garden of nurgle is where he's located so uh another interesting thing about nurgle is that um while he will give you basically if you were to join nurgle he would give you diseases you would become bloated with disgusting pus your organs would spill out you don't feel it uh he takes away your pain uh and uh he keeps you alive uh so like there's that part of like that fatherly I care about you figure, even though it's on the outside, it's disgusting and gross. They're not feeling it where with Slanesh, uh, you, you're feeling pain and everything. Like, uh, if you were to join her at any point in time, she could just rip you apart because she's bored and it sounds fun or with corn at any point in time, he could be like, Nope, you're getting into a battle and you're dying. Uh, cause I want to fight you or I'm going to make my champion Karn fight you. And he's just going to rip your fucking head off. Um, so that's kind of one of the interesting things about Nurgle is that he does truly care, and that kind of like summarizes the Garden of Nurgle. And of these Chaos Gods, which one would you arguably say would be the strongest, or the ones you would see as being most powerful, if you could even scale that for that level of like you know literal Chaos Gods? Uh, it depends on what's going on in the universe currently. So uh, during the War of Heaven and Earth, Corn would probably be the strongest. Uh, but uh, during like what would be like a worldwide bubonic plague, or not worldwide, but galaxy-wide bubonic plague, it would be Nurgle. Um, whenever everything's not in war stagnant, but like you have this subterfuge and all these people scheming against 
uh, Zinch would become the strongest, and then whatever the Eldar were doing in entire galaxy-wide orgy and rape fest, um, it would probably be Slanesh. So it's like an ebb and flow. And then anytime the Chaos God's on top, they get ripped down. And pretty much the Chaos Gods also put their 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 goals are in the way of becoming successful too. So they have their own internal check and balance. Interesting. And what would you say would be an interesting, if you could call it a feat of strength that AMD performed? Because what I think of comes to mind, if you could mm-hmm. elaborate or fill in the story, because I remember it very vaguely, one of Korn's champions were angry at him and struck Korn in the back. Mm-hmm. And in response, Korn was angry not because he fought against him, but because he fought like a coward and proceeded to punch him until he was going through space for how long? And then he's lost all consciousness besides the concept of rage. Yeah, Skarlbrand uh, decided uh, that, uh, I, I think it was Zinch whispered in his ear, he was like, yeah, you could take Korn now. You're, you're a bad motherfucker. You got this. He struck him in the back. Korn turned around and said, nope, just punched him across the universe. And uh, Skarlbrand was permanently injured after that fact, which in demon world is pretty crazy because whenever they die, they just return back to form. Um, and uh, like you said, he was just pissed off that uh, he basically... Um, struck him in the back, which it goes against everything that uh, Korn is about. Um, and mind you, this champion isn't a pushover either. He's a no. pretty heavy hitter. Do you want to put into context for the listeners like how strong he is? Like, what would probably be? could easily 1v1 a Primarch. Um, maybe not directly, but at that time when he struck Korn, he was, I would say, above Primarch level. There's probably somebody that could pull a little passage out of a book that proves me wrong. But Skarlbrand was a massive person in the setting until he decided to, to uh, get punched across the universe. Uh, he's a lot more uh, prevalent in the fantasy universe, but I think it is a really good description of like, yeah, this person can defeat things in our universe, and then he goes to fight the Chaos God himself, and he gets negged like it's nothing. Like, it, it's a joke. But the thing that holds the Chaos Gods from just coming back is they can't materialize into the real realm. Real warp because anytime they would come close to materializing, uh, a chaos god would pre- a prevent them from doing it, or uh, a couple factions would come together to prevent it. Because if a chaos god got into real world space, uh, it'd pretty much spell the end at that point, unless the emperor could come back, and, or maybe there was a giant MacGuffin that could just uh, end it, which would be lame. So they, I mean, you're probably never going to see one of them enter real space. And we mentioned earlier how they all. They have their own pocket dimension. Yep. What is that all connected to? And we didn't mention this earlier, but would that be the warp, maybe? Um, so, yes and no. Um, so, the Chaos Realm is its own thing. The warp is a way to use the Chaos Realm. Think of it as a tunnel. A way to tunnel through t- space and time. Because... Uh, uh, to be able to travel through space, they, they don't go unbelievably fast, because if they were to do that, if they hit a planet, they would just explode, right? There's there's no way you can maneuver traveling multiple light speeds. So what they do is they enter a pocket dimension through the warp, um, well, using the warp that basically enters chaos. They pop through there, and then they pop out where they want to go. And the, uh, the Emperor is kind of guiding them. So the warp was uh, created by the old gods, the old ones. Uh, that's what it was. Um, and it was uh, also used by the Eldar for travel. And then uh, the Emperor also uh, had it himself. Um, 
so I guess that kind of explains it. There's a lot more in depth into it. So they have, like I said, the Chaos Realm is their own pocket dimension. And then you can see those as tunnels, I guess, would be the best way to describe it, Zola. Okay, thank you. And we mentioned already one of the champions of both mm-hmm. Nurgle and of Korn. What about Zeech and Slanesh? What are their champions? Are there any notable ones for them? So the notable champions are um, Karn is the notable champion of Korn. Um, they, they're mostly space marines, outside of their Primarchs, obviously being the demon princes. Um, and then you have Lucius, who is another one of the most hated characters, is the champion of Slanesh. Um, he's just an overly cocky swordsman, very powerful swordsman, but if anyone kills him, if they take any pride and joy in it, he will uh, overtake their body in a really gruesome way um eventually um for example a really really stupid way uh that uh that took an effect he stepped on a landmine and got blown up and then since the worker took pride in making the landmine lucius just popped out of his body and just like ripped him up and just took his form so again sometimes kind of the ridiculous like stupidness Plot um, armor <laughs> yes um the uh they tend to be the first captains of each uh group um uh the uh champion of uh zinch a name escapes me uh he's uh the leader of the rubrics marines so whenever the thousand sons uh switched over to chaos um he basically didn't agree with it because zinch loves whenever you don't do what you're supposed to do he will legitimately let you fight him in a mental battle because he finds it entertaining so this uh, Marine, whenever he saw them kind of like starting to go over and uh, switch to chaos, um, he, he kind of just set it up so that they all got turned into dust. Um, he, yeah, it, it was pretty brutal, but his mm-hmm. specific Marines were not turned into uh, dust and everything like that. Uh, they were uh, kind of saved from that terrible, terrible um, uh Living, it's like his name's Oxzek Abram or something like that. I can never pronounce it. Um, is that and then, the two-headed eagle thing that went into? That's a demon. So, oh, uh, my apologies. Yeah, demon. yeah. So this is a space marine leader. So whenever you say champions of chaos and stuff like that, they're the space marines. You're thinking of like the actual cha- uh, leader demons. So the one you're thinking of is a uh, Zinch likes birds. I guess. He, uh, his demons are like bored like and he has a demon that has two heads one that sees the future and one that sees the past simultaneously so he never knows what's going on in the present he can in theory know more than Zinch because Zinch was experimenting by throwing people into this time space to like be able to have the ultimate knowledge and uh oh what does that do shove just pushes <laughs> <him>. <laughs> yeah and this is the only one to ever come out and survive and uh he's not all there in the head uh because again he can't see current time he's always seeing the past and the future simultaneously and uh extremely powerful psyker bird thing demon um but yeah he's just kind of there um i cannot for the life of me unless i just googled it but that would just be lame uh the leader of uh, the champion of nurgle but it is the first captain that betrayed mortarian and uh he's one of the other really hated um uh people in the uh in the universe um he's uh kind of a an asshole but uh that'd be the other one but like you said there is a demon version leader of every single one there's a space marine and then there's a primarch and then there's chaos undivided if you want me to touch on that solo yes please 
So Chaos Undivided is whenever a uh, a group of Space Marines that basically do not hold any allegiance to a specific Chaos God, they still receive powers in different amounts from each Chaos God to further their goal. Their its so facto leader is Abaddon the Despoiler, the first captain of the Lunar Space Wolves, the uh, the right hand man to Boris himself. Um, unfortunately, in the lore, he's known for being a loser because it took him thirteen or fourteen great crusade invasions to make a dent into the setting so he basically failed 14 times well 13 times and then on the 14th time he made some progress so good for him he did make it a lot of progress but he he still lost because abaddon sucks um but uh chaos undivided is uh there's a couple primarchs that fall into that uh elk where they just don't have specific legions to one chaos god that sounds all in riveting and I love talking about the Chaos Gods. It's, I'd say it's a little bit of a guilty prelature, but, you know, be careful because that'd be heresy. I don't want an Inquisitor to get me. I'm yeah. still loyal to, you know, the Emperor. Yeah, um, I think that's the coolest thing is um, every single faction is so interesting in their own right. Um, uh, of course, like as we're talking about Chaos Gods, a lot of the Xenos and Chaos factions hate Space Marines, not because they're their rivals, just because, well, they get the most stuff. Like, Space Marines, not only do they have chapters, but they have the special boy chapters. They get their own books in the tabletop, where Chaos just gets one book, which is kind of lame, and uh, they, need oh, to, they need to fix that. They each need their individual book by now. Interesting, interesting. Um, my last question in regards to the Chaos Gods. What do you yeah. see for them in your future, and what is something you want to see in the lore for them? Do you want to see more character development? Do you want them to like put aside a certain story plot? Is there anything in regards to that you're interested in? So chaos, chaos is supposed to be the big bad, right? Whenever you think, you're supposed to think Imperium versus Chaos. That's what the setting is really supposed to be. But they're not really as imposing. I as I would like them to be. Uh, Abaddon needs to get removed from the setting. Um, he's gotten rid of some of my favorite characters. Um, so, uh, But he continues to fail in what he's trying to achieve, and then later on they're like, no, he didn't fail. See, he did these 13 uh, crusades, and then the 14th was just leading up to it. He planned to fail 13 times, and that's just kind of lame to me. I would like to see either his character get completely changed or just honestly removed. And then uh, I do like the direction that they're currently going with him, where he's uh, teamed up with Vashtor to uh, uh, unlock a key that's going to make Vashtor on the same level as Chaos Gods, and maybe we'll have a fifth Chaos God that's on that level. And uh, this is going to be empowering uh, Abaddon. Maybe that'll move the setting forward. But chaos is very, very difficult because, like we said, if they start to win, they lose. So they're kind of that eternal thing in the background that just kind of is annoying and should be constantly foiling the Imperium's movements forward, um, or any any race for that matter. Um, but they they can never be like winning because in the fantasy universe they ended up winning in the end, and it was just a terrible ending, and nobody really liked it. We're not going to talk about fantasy. That's an episode for a different day. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, boy. Yeah, I'm, I pray for the fantasy enjoyers because, yeah, you guys are having it rough right now. I'll just put it that way. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, uh, is, yeah, go ahead. 
Uh, it's rough. Uh, we won't talk about it though. We got to stay on. Uh, we'll stay on gotcha. the topic of beautiful Warhammer 40k. Yeah, the perfect one. Mm-hmm. Before we go into the fan questions I have for you from our viewer, <laughs> is there anything else you want to add in or talk about that I have not mentioned yet that you feel like is very important that should be brought up? Um, just pertaining to uh, chaos in the Imperium, or just overall with the entire. Uh... 40k universe for what we discussed so far we're chaos and the imperium and for the audience we're going to be having a part two where we talk more about the sub factions and subplots such as like the orcs and the tyranids and necrons more in detail but for this episode it's just a main 101 cover over like warhammer 40k to major players yeah um i would say um if you're going to get into the setting um Understand that if you're going to play the tabletop, understand that it's not cheap. It's very fun and addictive, but it's not cheap. So watch some videos on to figure out which factions are actually within your price range. Because you don't want to pick up one of the more expensive... Um, maybe, let's say you like the Guardsmen. They sound really cool to you. Just millions and billions of regular humans sitting in front of the horrors of the universe, firing their guns the average life expectancy of a guardsman is less than one battle. If you go for one battle, you're automatically a veteran because you're basically just going to die anyways. Um, they get killed by their own uh, side firing weapons near them, and they just get slaughtered. Their models aren't updated. They're extremely expensive because you got to buy a ton of them, and uh, they're called what's a horde army on the tabletop. Um, so they, they have way, way too many, uh, a lot of models, so it can get pretty pricey where something like the Custodes is considered one of the cheapest because their models are what's called elite models, so that they, uh, they're they worth a lot of points, but there's uh, they, they obviously they're very powerful in their own right. So I would say look into that so that you can find something in your price range because you definitely don't want to get into a situation where you do want to play the tabletop game, but you can't afford it because you got half of a Guardsman army and that's all you can field. Um, and then also I would say if you're going to... Uh, get into the Warhammer universe. Just listen to everything. You know, like if, get in, fall in love with the memes. If that's not your thing, go listen to Luton. Uh, if that's not your thing, just play the game. And if that's not your thing, I don't know what to tell you at that point. <laughs> You're probably not going to like anything if you don't like the lore of the game itself. But there's something here for everyone. So give it a shot, and you're just gonna you're gonna fall in love with it. it it's an amazing, amazing. IP Games Workshop, even though they are something, they they create something magical. Thank you so much for having time in this interview, and I appreciate you being here and being able to flex your knowledge of Warhammer 40k. It's been a very enjoyable experience. Of course, Solo. And now we would be going into the questions brought to us by our viewers and our fans. And for anyone who's interested, submit your own questions on a topic. Check out my main page on Twitter. I am at Solo Requiem. S-O-L-A underscore R-E-Q-U-I-E-M. You can find me posting a lot of my thoughts on there, my opinions, and more updates on the podcast. I hope to see you in the future, and always feel free to DM me a question on any topics. So, for the first topic or question, my apologies, we have John Flynn. John Flynn wants to know, let me read this. Hello, Sawyer. It's always good to see other people in the Warhammer community that are fans. I enjoy you being on Rec Room Radio. What is your overall opinion on the Tyranids, and do you think they'll play a major threat later in the lore? 
Oh, man. Uh, the Tyranids are, uh, are currently one of the big player in the war. So uh, with the most recent uh, release of models, the Tyranids are supposed to be the big bad of this uh, this 10th uh, edition. So it's broken up in editions. Uh, what's really interesting about the Tyranids is that we don't know how big they are. We've only seen what's called a high fleet. Think of it as a giant a spaceship of Tyranids, and uh, we'll go more into it, I think, on our Xenos, right, Solo? I'm not going to deep dive into it, but I, I do believe, because they could either be the biggest threat in the universe, or they could just be bugs that are annoying, but they are extraordinarily cool. I think that this, um, they're going to make some ground, and we're going to see some really cool things come out of them in this specific edition. Alright, thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Our next question brought to us by a viewer, Mr. Overprayed. Hello, Sawyer. Question in regards to role-playing over tabletop. I know that sounds weird, but first question is, do you do it? Second, who would you say would be best for role-playing as a crusader? The Black Templar or the Fallen Angels? Mm. So, Uh, yeah, the topic of role-play on that. Um, So it is kind of nerdy. What are your thoughts on it? (laughs) So... Uh, I would not roleplay in a 2,000-point army uh, game because of how long it takes. You can, but you need to get a core group. Now, what me and Solo, when we first started together, it was called Kill Team. And it is literally perfect for roleplay because you can create entire D&D campaigns on your specific units. They can take permanent damage. They can be killed off. Or they can gain special abilities by your DM quotes, like getting the completing missions and stuff like that. Um, now, you can roleplay in your own way in the larger games by screw the meta. Play what you enjoy. If you really like this named character, even if he's terrible, if you have fun fielding him because the flavor he adds to your army, do it. Screw what other people say. Make your plastic crack fun for you if you're going to play the game. So roleplay in your brain. Just don't be cringy and start saying some stuff over the top. But if you are going to do it, own it at least. Um, Often and then we'll. Well, yeah, confidence is keying. Uh, what was the second part, Solo? The second question was, if I want to roleplay as a Crusader, would it be better to get the um, Fallen Angels or the Dark Crusaders? Or, sorry, Knights Templar. My apologies. Uh, so both of those are um, a little bit wrong names. So the Fallen are the sub-faction of the Dark Angels that actually fell to Chaos. Um, so half of the, uh, well, maybe not half, but a large portion of the Dark Angels fell to Chaos, and uh, they fought against L. Lionel Johnson. It's why he wasn't there on the Battle of Terra. No, they um, didn't. And- it didn't happen. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> You'll get it. You get it. <laughs> so, so they constantly are trying to hide the fact. Um, so the Fallen are still Crusaders, but they don't have a presence in the tabletop, so you would just play the Dark Angels. I believe that's what you meant by that. And they are really good for the Crusades because they have the cloaks and everything. I have a uh, digital army that I really enjoy with the Dark Angels that just got nerfed, so I can't have fun anymore. Whatever, Games Workshop, just do what you want to do. Um, now, the Black Templars, which is what I believe you were inferring on that, are another really great option. Um, the uh, The Black Templars were created as a fuck chaos group. Um, that individual that name still escapes me, and I don't want to use Google because that's lame. Um, uh, who pretty much headed solo? Maybe you should Google it. He is he was the first captain of the uh, Imperial Fists, and then he became the leader of the Black Templars. Maybe you could Google it. I'm gonna hope that it pops in my head later. Um, uh, created the Black Templar to fight chaos. They despise them, obviously Xenos as well, and everything. 
I would say if you're going to pick one, um, I, I personally I'm biased. Dark Angels, but uh, Black Templar just mm-hmm. to give each of them their own little uh, like cool little thing. The uh, Dark Angels are the elite. They have extraordinarily elite champion uh, units. Like their Space Marines are a little bit better than the average. And then uh, the Black Templar work in kill teams. So they have like little special kill teams that move instead of squads. So you can add a lot of flavor into it. And the Black Templars were really, really good earlier. I think they got nerfed recently, so they might be a little bit weaker, but they were stronger. That's a hard choice, man. The, the, both of those are great. You can't go wrong. Thank you. And my apologies, I'm going to try to say this next bit with a straight face, but it's going to be very hard if you know what this character is. Question from Wazdaka Getschmeck. Oh my gosh, I'm sorry. That's fantastic. More Speeda Boy, more Daka. More Speeda Boy, more Daka. Thoughts? Question mark? <laughs> paint, paint red, go fast. Okay, thank you. Uh-huh. Um, I'm sorry if for people who don't know, orcs are. We'll cover that in the next episode. <laughs> but I appreciate your very thought-provoking question, Wazdaka, and I hope to or, see you. Or, or you're purple and you can't be seen. <laughs> Thank I, you. Yeah. And oh my gosh, uh, next question from Alpharius420. I am Alpharius. That's I all am, you wrote. <laughs> I, I am too Alpharius. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I can't do this. I love the fandom. Yeah, this is great thought-provoking stuff. And uh, since we did talk about chaos, I, uh, I can go on to this if you want me to solo. Can you? Yes, please talk about what that means. I am Alpharius. So in the uh, so uh, the one of the leaders of the uh, one of the legions is Alpharius and Omega. They're twins. Um, what makes them unique is that they are the um, another subterfuge faction uh so they're broken down and uh they will get into a planet you'll see them but you won't know who they are and they will just absolutely break down everything but all of their um uh uh, most of their um space marines um change their appearance to look like their primarch so that at any point in time if you think you killed alpharius or omegon you actually probably just killed a space marine and they will so the phrase I am Alpharius came to be um, just kind of like I'm Spartacus kind of thing. But it, it is a really funny meme where like if uh, you just everyone is Alpharius. All right. And our next question comes in from Magnus Vigso. Mm-hmm. Magnus Vigso says, although I may be biased in your answer, I would like to know, do you truly believe Magnus did nothing wrong? Question mark. Or do you believe that it was a meme in the community that was overplayed? What are your thoughts? Magnus was done really, really wrong. So uh, whenever the Imperium was deciding if they should use psychers, there was a, count, uh, a council held called the Council of uh, Nakia. Um, what was really interesting about it is that the Emperor is the strongest psyker to ever exist, and he said no psychers are bad. But then he let Magnus do his psyker thing, but then his legion was not allowed to use any other abilities. Um, Magnus was basically like um found out that horus was betraying the emperor so he sent a psychic message to the emperor which he was not supposed to do um and whenever he did that he broke one of the emperor's projects and uh it's a whole story but he just say that and then uh somebody was uh ferris uh lehman russ was sent to go capture him then horus was like, like oh no you you're not sent to capture him you're sent to kill him 
So then Magnus, with his brother basically coming to kill him, which he shouldn't be, and destroying his home planet of Prospero, went to the chaos. So I don't think Magnus the Red did anything wrong, actually. I, I would say he was actually not wrong, but he was tricked. So if, it's, if you want to say it's his fault for being fooled, sure. But directly, I wouldn't say he did anything wrong, no. Okay, thank you. And this next question is coming in from Nate Terranova. Nate wants to know, well, here's what he says. Hello, Sawyer. Jim Bra. Raw. <laughs> I am... Okay. I am a closet Warhammer 40k nerd. I like to listen to lore while working out at the gym. Should uh-huh. I stay in the closet with this, or should I just own the hobby? What are your thoughts? Thank you. Yeah, it's becoming more popular, man. You can come out of the closet if you want. I listen to Primark books while I'm doing like a cardio and stuff, or just any of the lore and stuff, so I know what you're talking about. Um, if you want to get into it more without having to like go to a place where people don't shower again uh there's a thing called tabletop simulator uh you can download it off of steam and then there's a discord specifically just for being able to set up everything i did it in one afternoon it's called tts warhammer 40k i don't know if that's okay if i say that is that fine you're good you can say Uh, that uh you can look them up they have guide videos on how to set up everything um, you can just uh, link up and play the uh, game over there, but I would say you should come out and talk about it, man, because it's one of your interests, and you're going to find people that fall in love with it too, and then you can actually meet and interact with them. So if you have fun, definitely just make it a thing. Like, actually get involved with it. Now, I will say going to those public events can get pretty awkward. Me and my wife tried to go to an event once in... It was a little much, so we just turned around. But I know some some places have a little bit more, like, normal people, I guess. It sounds bad at their uh, local game shops. But you can go to a local game shop. They'll probably have a day where they have Warhammer. Um, but the community's far and large, man. Like, uh, I'm also a gym bro. That's kind of, you wouldn't think I'm into Warhammer by looking at me. Or Major Kill, which you probably know who it is if you listen to lore. So, nah, man. Spread the love. Spread the love of Warhammer. Emperors unite. Uh, all right, we have a question. All right, this is a bit of a serious one that I wasn't sure if I want to mention this, but now that I'm going to be a man of my word and read the questions for the audience. So this one's from Mark Oni. Hello, Sawyer. Recently, I've been feeling like our community is being hijacked by people who are trying to change things from what they originally were. Mm-hmm. It gets frustrating how I go to conventions and I see, come on, man. I see blue-haired feminists. I'm going to say that because I'm not going to read what you said out loud. Mm -hmm. They're trying to call everyone Nazis and fascists. Have you ever been to events where you saw this as a problem or is it just my local area? What are your thoughts as well on gatekeeping in the community? I mean, if you're in California, yeah. I guess it depends on the setting because, I mean, uh, where I'm at... I'm not going to dox myself, but no, you won't see that where I'm at. Um, it's unfortunately might just be your location. If you go to any majors, yeah, you might run into that issue because, well, unfortunately, a lot of the the nerd culture has been, I'm not going to say hijacked because um, we don't own it. It's not ours. It's just ours to enjoy. And if you get hung up on people taking it over and everything like that, then you're going to f- not be able to enjoy what is the fun aspect of Warhammer. Um, 
if the game gets changed in the wrong way, just play it the way that you remember it and you enjoy it with a group of people that agree with you. Uh, you can see that going on with uh, D&D right now where people don't like the changes that's happening with D&D. People play 3rd edition still. It, if, if you don't like D&D 1 and you just want to play 5th edition, just play 5th edition, man. Own your hobby. Don't let other people who are getting involved in it ruin it. But the most important thing is don't gatekeep ever because I guarantee you there might be somebody that gets into it with the ideas that they're going to be what you would call a blue hair feminist. But then they fall in love with the aspects that we enjoy about it. So, like, don't be a barrier of entry just because you enjoy the way the game's played. Just be that person that you enjoy in the game. And then I guarantee you people will gravitate towards the way that you play it unless what you the way you play it fucking sucks. Yeah, and for the record, blue hair feminist is a polite way of me paraphrasing what he actually said. But yeah, guys, if you're going to send me in questions, sorry if this is a bit off topic, just please, you know, cool it. I'm not trying to get demonetized. But okay, <laughs> what do we have next? Oh, this is actually an interesting question from Kendall Hargens. Mm-hmm. Hi, Sawyer. I am a female Warhammer 40k fan. Shocker, rare. I'm a unicorn, I know. Mm-hmm. I would like to know your opinions on recent lore changes of females eventually becoming space marines. I personally think it's wrong because we already have our own group, but would you think that could actually be a change in the future? And what are your general opinions on male-only space marines? So I'm not Games Workshop, and they ultimately own the IP. Um, that is a great question, though, uh, honestly, uh, because... The female space marines that she uh, is speaking about is the Adeptus Sororitas, our nuns with guns. Uh, they are absolute badass women that are religious zealots that wear flamer, uh, carry flamethrowers, and they wear power armor, and they're fighting toe-to-toe with space marines, even though they're not went under the genetic modification, and they see the emperor as a god and the space marines as his angels, and they are badass bitches, man. They are awesome. And um, uh, that's why I don't think it needs to happen. I mean, it's already established lore that males are the only thing picked for space marines. I mean, if you look at the history of our civilization, um, it's pretty modern time to send women out to war. And if you're in a setting where one of the most conventional way of combat is with a sword in hand, and that's another thing that's awesome about Warhammer is it's supposed to be this futuristic thing with spaceships. There's people carrying around chainsaw swords and chain axes cutting up people, and it's, it works, man. It works. They don't try to be like, okay, but women can also do it too, um, because they can in certain parts of it. They have their own faction, but space marines are their own individual thing. They're established as male only. That's what they are, and I hope it stays that way just because retcons are useful whenever the lore sucks, but the lore doesn't suck there, and... There's no reason to add females into there. If they do it, it is what it is, but there is no reason. Okay, sounds good. And we have about four more questions. You okay with that? Yep. Okay, uh, so we have from Teet S-Z-N. He wants to know... That's a weird... Oh, I see what he's saying. Hi, Sawyer. If you were in the Warhammer 40k universe as a peasant farmer, and you were being invaded by... Which group is that? Oh, Drakari. Sorry. I haven't seen that word in a while. If you're being invaded by Drakari, which Imperium of Man group would you not want to be saved by? So basically, if you're being invaded by Chaos and you're just a farmer, who do you not want to be saved by in the Imperium? 
I mean, it depends on what uh, you're looking for. You get uh, protected by the Grey Knights. They're just going to kill you afterwards if they survive. Um, you don't want it to be the Guardsmen because you want the most powerful things there to protect you. <laughs> so I'd say the Guardsmen, no, because uh, you do not want to be captured by the Jakari. If uh, you're about to be captured by the Jakari, kill yourself. It's not yeah. It's not a joke like, oh, no, like, they're going no, to... literally turn... kill yourself. Like, <laughs> Yeah, no, like, legitimately kill yourself. They're going to flay you, turn you to a lampshade, and keep you alive during that entire time, and you will live in eternal pain, and that will be your life. So I would say the worst is probably the Grey Knights, because you're just going to die afterwards, because if you see them, they're not supposed to exist. They're going to kill you. If uh, it's the Inquisition, and you get stuck with Jukari, at least it's not chaos, but the odds are they're probably going to kill you afterwards as well. So probably not them. And then uh, there is a couple chapters that um, there's one chapter of the Blood Angels. Uh, the name escapes me. Uh, Gage would probably know it off the top of his head. He's really good about that. Where they're the uh, chapter that has the worst luck. Uh, pretty much everything they do, they fail at and they just die for. So you don't want them there because then you're just going to lose anyways. Um, but I hope that answers your question because <laughs> just because the Imperium man's coming to save you, it does not mean you're saved. As a peasant farmer, you mean nothing. Oh, here's a really fun question. So this is in by Perseus L. Cameron. Hello, Sawyer. I've been getting into Warhammer 40k lore recently, and a character who really interests me is Sanguinius. Ah. What I'm curious about, though, is why do his followers drink blood? That's so... a fun one. <laughs> so every single um, legion has uh, are created through gene seed. It's a uh, what created the Primarchs is basically just think of it as like a little connection with them that's used to create them. A lot of these gene seeds have flaws, and what's a flaw with the gene seed for them is they get what's called the red thirst. Uh, so they legitimately drink blood. Um, it's just uh, one of the flaws, and um, there's nothing you can really do about it. It's just a part of their life. And they have even worse side effects uh, with the uh, the black rage and everything like that. Um, but uh, I hope that answers your question. It's just a gene seed flawed. Uh, there's a lot of different other ones uh, as well that exist in different legions. Okay, thank you. And that's actually a good follow-up question. My apologies for not reading uh, Will's first. But just like Will asked the question, what is a gene seed? Uh, a gene seed is uh, what is used to implant into a space marine to make them a space marine. It is a, um, uh, uh, like a derivative of their primarch that gives them the ability to turn from a human into a space marine. So basically, there's a lot of other things that go into it, but um, uh, the, f the most important part of turning a human into a space marine is the gene seed being implanted into you. So whenever a primarch dies, there'll be a apothecary. Um, that will be on the battlefield. They're not medics. They sometimes are, but their main, uh, the main role of an apothecary is to foster the gene seed that they, so they can make uh, more space marines because space marines are not a just you can pump out kind of thing. Like the, only certain people can take the gene seed, and there's not an unlimited supply for certain chapters. Okay. Um, and two more questions, and there's one question I'm going to save for last. I think it's a very important one. Okay. But my second question for you is by Lachnan Smith. Mm -hmm. He wants... Let me read what he has to say. Apologies, his message just crashed. That's my fault. No, you're good. Um, oh, here it is. Who was the commissar that fought a war boss and won? 
who's he talking about? That's a famous story, right? Yeah, so uh, there's a commissar that fought Gazgul, um, and uh, he won, and he became respected by the orcs. Unfortunately, he recently died in the lore uh, due to Magnus. Um, let me think about the name for a split second. I completely know the entire story of it. So uh, this uh, commissar uh, was on a planet that was basically constantly getting sieged by the orcs. He actually managed to defeat what was the kind of itso facto leader of the orcs with Gazgul, and... Um, uh, he became so respected that um, Gazgul heard that uh, um, not Corn, sorry, Angron, the uh, the Primarch that falls with Corn, uh, aligned with him. Uh, Commissar Yarik, that's the name. Commissar Yarik. Um, for those that don't know, I guess I'll, I'll I'll restart this. Sorry, I was a little scattered there. So Commissar Yarik. Uh, commissars are uh, a leader of the guard unit. Um, he is. Uh, he was fighting the orcs, and he was able to beat him back. He became so respected and everything like that that orcs began to fear him, and not in like a negative way, but they knew that if they entered a fight with him, they were going to lose. Uh, uh, Gazgul considered him his rival, which is a great thing for orcs because they live for the battle. And whenever uh, Commissar Yark died to Angron, because Angron's a primarch that fell, like, and Yark's just a human, got absolutely obliterated. Gazgul is now on a hunt for Angron, and he will fly into the chaos in the warp to fucking 1v1 him in a blink of an eye. Um, but uh, Commissar Yarik is a really cool character. Um, that uh, It's a great question, honestly. I'm glad I was able to pull that one out my ass. No, that was really good. I like that <laughs> because I remember there's some animation studio that Games Workshop has where they have like short little 20-minute episodes. Yeah. And I think they did an episode on it. I was just like, for some reason, I've seen it so long ago, I just blanked on it. I was like, wait, who was that? I remember that happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Commissar Yarek. Good question. Good question. Definitely. This next one's pretty interesting by Abigory Sweet. She says, Hello, Sawyer. I am curious about the Alpha Legion's loyalty. They're yeah. known for their secrecy and manipulation, but I have a theory that they may secretly be loyal to the Emperor and work to a grand strategy that will ultimately benefit humanity. What are your thoughts on that, and am I alone in this? So no, she wants so to know. It, yeah. She is not alone. The fan base basically understands. As of right now, we do know that there are some Alpha Legion, which is a another Legion. Um, they're the 20th Legion, the one that has Alpharius in it, Alpha, Alpharius, and Omega as their Primarchs. Um, we know that um, they fell to Chaos, but we also know there are loyal loyalists within there. Now, since they are the sneakiest of the, uh, of the Legions, like they're the most ridiculous, uh, can I give you an example of how crazy they, how they fight a world? Um, Go ahead. Feel free. Yeah, they, uh, instead of just going in and taking over a world, which they would be able to do because space marines are just that powerful, they infected the air with a psychotic drug that caused the entire citizens to go into madness in their dreams. So every single time they dreamed, they just had nightmares. And then they invaded on that night and basically made everything fall into disarray because of that. They don't fight in a normal way. They fight through subterfuge. Um, so. Uh, we don't really know where their allegiance lies. Uh, we do know that most likely one of them is dead. We don't know if it was Omegon or Altharius. But the the assumption currently is is that one of them was loyalist, one of them was traitor. The traitor one died, and then the loyalist one still lives. And is pretending to be a traitor to combat chaos. But we can't confirm it. 
because nobody knows what the fuck Alpha Legion's doing. Like nobody knows. That's that's the fun of that Legion. Um, that's a great question. Yeah, and I hope honestly they remain a mystery until they really really need to pull that plot line because I don't want them to use that anytime soon. I like the suspense. I agree. Well, I agree. That was all of our main questions for you now. And for the audience, I get probably a dozen other questions, but we'll be here all night talking about that. And a lot of those are more focused on, say, part two episodes. So if sure. I did read your question today, my apologies. I'll read it in the part two that we're going to be having on more of the sub-action stuff in Warhammer 40K. That will be to be determined in the future. We don't have a scheduled date for that, but look forward to that episode. And Sawyer, thank you for being on my show. Thank you for being on Rec Room Radio. Do you have any social media or any accounts that you'd like to share, or do you want to just keep it private down low? You couldn't find me even if you tried. I don't exist on the internet, and the name is Sigismund. That's it. the the champion of the, the champion of the emperor is Sigismund. Sorry, I knew it was going to come to me. Yeah, there you go. At the very end, I Let's knew go. it was going to eventually come to me. Uh, no, you won't be able to find me. I'm I, I don't have any social media or anything like that. But uh, if uh, I love answering these questions, so like fire him at solo anytime you want and as long as he's okay with taking the brunt of it and he, he he can always reach out to me and i'll answer him happily like yeah i got a long list of questions i'd be feel free to send it to you after if you want to think about it but definitely these are some fun ones and mm-hmm. there's more niche ones like asking about questions with like gene stealers and stuff that's why i didn't bring them up because i'm like all right that's gonna be like a part two thing like we yeah there's, there's there's you know yeah um okay so for the audience, do you have any closing comments or remarks that you want to say about Warhammer 40K or anything about in general? Um, I would say uh, just get involved with it. Uh, there's painting, there's playing the tabletop, there's reading the lore. Um, don't take it too seriously. It's not supposed to be. And uh, don't get at each other's throat over the game. If uh, you see people not liking the way things are going, uh, how you want them to be, just kind of avoid them. Um, but just enjoy the hobby and share it with everybody because I didn't think I would enjoy this kind of thing. I was always more of just a uh, normal kind of like gamer thing where I just want to play electronical video games. But then I just got more into the tabletop and then um, just fell in love with it. So like, just give it a shot. You'll find something that you'll most likely enjoy. And uh, don't get addicted too much or you'll run out of your paycheck. Definitely. <laughs> All right. Ladies and gentlemen, you've heard it here tonight at Room Radio. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to leave five stars. You could find us on Spotify, YouTube, and YouTube Podcasts, as well as in iTunes. One last thing I'd like to include. Our next episode guest is going to be with Pseudomass, who is currently studying in philosophy, and we will be discussing the works of Kierkegaard. So if you'd be interested in a 101 guide on Kierkegaard, he will be your guide for that. I look forward to that episode, and I, you know, I recommend radio. We love philosophy, so that's going to be an enjoyable subject. But one last time, thank you so much, Robert, for being here. We'll see you in the future. Uh, Thanks for having me, Sola. Yep. Bye.